0: Welcome to BU Podcast. I'm Jill Herman, and I am so glad you're here. I was broke, insecure, and craved approval. But with grit, hustle, and sacrifice, I still built a successful multimillion-dollar business. Ten years in, burnout, I slowed down and looked inward. In that silence, I discovered that the same level of success could have come to me with much less effort and so much more joy. That's when I threw out the expectations of the world and chose to unbecome every single thing I thought I was supposed to be. And the real me was uncaged. It was far from easy. And in this podcast, I'll offer my entire journey as a roadmap so that if you're ready, you can finally be you. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to BU. This is Jill Herman. And today we are going to talk head trash, limiting beliefs, stories, that little voice, the inner roommate. Before we get into that, I want to say thank you for all of the interaction and feedback and comments. So many people subscribing to BU podcast and giving us five star reviews, leaving comments, sharing nuggets of wisdom that they've gained, sharing it with their friends. And those of you just sending me messages of encouragement, thank you so much. I also want to thank again my very first interview guest, Kayla Craft, who spoke with us on the last episode. Uh, So many of you loved it, and you see why I have hired her as my very first business coach. So in my first episode, I talked to you about my anxiety and the thoughts I... Uh, had about money and people and status, et cetera. But I didn't really give it a name. And so as we start this journey together, I wanna start first at how this happens, how we have these stories in our heads, where they come from and what we can do about them. So in the end, I'm gonna give you three takeaways that you can implement into your life starting today that will make a direct positive impact on how you feel and how you show up in the world. Okay, so I love the name head trash. I actually stole it. <laughs> My husband heard it from a business coach and I stole it from him and I've used it ever since. You've also heard the term limiting or self limiting beliefs. I'm sure you've heard stories, the little voice. I heard someone say the inner roommate, and I loved that term. It's that negative Nancy who lives in the back of your brain. Now, some of you might say, Yeah, I don't have, I don't, I don't have her. You do. You just may not realize it. Now, what I used to say to people was, identify that belief, and I called mine Nagnus and you know, kick her in the teeth, kick her to the curb, get rid of her, ditch her. And I realized through the work that I've done that that doesn't really work. It sounds cool, it sounds good, but it's like telling someone to get healthy and lose weight by just eating less. I mean, it's just more complex than that. There are feelings underneath this, right? There are new habits that need to form. You know, we've got to go in with some weed killer and rip out some of those weeds that have been planted in our brain that have been there our entire lives. And sometimes we might need, you know, some major equipment to go in there and remove them. It's not as easy as just planting a few new flowers. Now that's important. We need to do that as well. And we'll talk about that on later episodes. But as far as getting rid of these stories and these beliefs, which cause the anxiety, which cause us to compare ourselves, which cause us to feel insecure, to look on Instagram and say, I need to be that or be less or be more, et cetera, we first have to know what we're even dealing with. So I'm no psychologist, right? I have no background in psychology, but I have been an experiment (laughs) and a project um, of psychologists, of experts and coaches, and and on my own journey. And I've learned so much. So I'm going to give you a little taste of what this looks like from my vantage point. And I invite you to research this more. Just do some searches online, read books, and uh, dig even deeper. All of these thoughts start in our brain, but in a part of our brain that we don't know is in control. And it's called the subconscious brain. So, you know, I I like to describe it as the conscious brain, right, thinks it's in charge, but it's not. The subconscious brain doesn't even know it's in charge and it's running the show and drive. It is the director of your theater and driving the bus all at the same time. That's where all of this is coming from. But it's kind of like if you picture an iceberg, you can only see, you know, 5%. Um, above surface, but then look what's below the surface. But what's below the surface is our subconscious brain. It's so important for us to just get that, first of all. So what lives there? Well, so much lives there. But when we talk about head trash, it's all there. Now, again, there are people who will say, maybe even some of you listening to this podcast, yeah, I don't think I have that. It's probably because you're you're winning at life. You're doing great in life. You're happy. You're fulfilled. You have great relationships. You're financially strong. You're healthy you have them it's just that they're not running your life you either have never identified them and you've been able to achieve what you want to achieve without letting them run your life or you have less of them than some people you know i have i i truly believe after working with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of women over a dec- over the course of a decade plus that there are some people that, for whatever reason, they don't have as much head trash. Now, we all have it. I mean, even Oprah, <laughs> we all have it. You know, whether whether we recognize that we have lots of stories that hold us back, or we don't even know if we have them, where do they come from? We know they live in the subconscious brain, but how do they get there? If we were born, you know, if this, this clean slate, you know, this beautiful, clean slate in this pure soul, uh, where do they come from? Well, from two places. First, when we experience things as a child, and this could be anywhere from, you know, we're a a baby up until like, you know, eight to 12 years old, we experience anything and we add meaning to it. Okay. Well, at that time in our lives, when we're, let's say we're under eight years old, when our brain is developing, our subconscious brain is taking everything in as true. It's a sponge. And when it comes in, it comes in as true. and, And I will tell you, it gets like cemented in there. And then it becomes a lens or a filter through which we see and hear everything for the rest of our lives. So either we see, we experience something and we add meaning to it, and I'll give you examples, or another way these thoughts get there, these stories get there, is that people, maybe they're our parents, maybe it's someone we look up to, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a neighbor. At some point, someone directly says something to us that we don't really add meaning to, but they actually say, you're bad, you're ugly, you know, you're you're unlovable. Or they say words about money, about someone else, about love, about relationships, about fear, about men, about anything. So we either experience something and add our own meaning to it, and that becomes our truth, which becomes our lens through which we see everything, or I would say and things are said to us. Not everyone's had this experience, but I have. Things are said to us that create that story for us, which is so painful to even think about, but those words also become part of the lens or even another lens that we see things through. So I'll give you examples. The first is I hear my parents arguing. I'm seven years old and I hear my parents arguing about money. Now they're just arguing about money, but the meaning I add to it is that money is bad. Money causes parents to argue. Money is scary. Money is something to be feared. Another story I could make up or meaning I could add to that experience is, I heard them arguing about how much my birthday party costs. I caused them problems. I am a mistake. I am a nuisance. I could even combine that and think anyone spending money on me is bad. Do you see? This is is how it happens. Another example could be, I experienced not getting chosen first, or maybe getting chosen last in gym class for square dancing. Or the boy that I like the most doesn't choose me and chooses the person next to me. Maybe I think he's pointing to me and I get all excited and he's pointing to Michelle next to me. And the meaning I add to everyone laughing is that I'm unlovable. I'm unwanted. I'm not worthy to be chosen. Or maybe if I showed excitement, And people laughed. The meaning I create, the story I create is don't show your feelings. Don't ever, ever show them your cards. Now, again, this is not a conscious choice. It's not a seven year old saying, I'm going to start thinking this way. I've made my decision that this is how I'm going to live my life. No, this just gets implanted in our brain. And we have no idea that we start seeing all experiences through that, right? So you'll hear people call it your reptilian brain, your monkey mind. Our brain is always searching for what's wrong. It's keeping us safe. You know, we don't want to be in danger. And so that's also at play here. But when experiences happen when we are children and we add meaning to them, sometimes we think that we just got over it or we just don't remember it. We may not remember it because it just got stored in the back of our brain. But it's actually with us every single day when we're 36 years old and uh, the guy that we want to, you know, date doesn't ask us on a date. And that same feeling comes back. Instead of saying, oh, that's interesting. He didn't ask me on a date. The feeling is rejection, abandonment. I'm not good enough. I knew I was unlovable. So as we experience these things and add that meaning to them, or we actually hear words directly spoken to us. Again, I've told you, thank goodness not everyone knows what this feels like. But there are children who have been told things like, you're just nothing but trouble. We never should have had another child. You know, you, you're, you're ugly. You should be pretty like your sister. I mean, I mean, I could go on and on. People have heard words like this spoken to them directly. So obviously, we know that's going to do some damage and they're going to carry that around. But what if these words were spoken just about nothing? You know, what if you, you overheard a, a conversation between your mom and the next door neighbor and she was talking about men and you heard the woman say, men cannot be trusted. They will always, always cheat on you. And instead of just hearing that and thinking, oh, that's kind of weird, I wonder why she would say that. As a five-year-old, you might hear that and it goes into your brain as the truth. And then what filter do you see men through for the rest of your life? And you have no idea that you're seeing this way. You have no idea why you always feel like every guy's going to cheat on you. Why you always feel the need to check up on them and ask them where they were. And you're like, where's this coming from? That's where it's coming from. What if someone said to you, um, "This is something that was said to me when I was a child." We had a, I have a lot of stories around money. I'll just give you mine, but mine's interesting. I, I actually noticed right before recording, I said, "I said to my husband, I just, I just had a, a, a light bulb moment." I've been very aware of my money mindset and my limiting beliefs for for a few about four or five years now, and one thing I didn't realize is that I've got. Two different limiting beliefs happening at once when it comes to money. My parents argued on a regular basis. I forgive them. They were doing the best they knew how. They're great people. They raised one, three wonderful children. We're all successful. We're all happy. You know, we have great lives. Wonderful parents. They had fought nonstop all the time. It did a lot of damage to us. They were usually fighting about money. So on one hand... Obviously, one of my stories is that money causes problems. I mean, money causes pain and anguish and arguments and tears. Money's bad. But on the other hand, we never had enough money, and that's all I ever heard. You know, there are people who grow up poor and they never feel poor, right? I felt poor because it was talked about constantly in my home never enough, never enough. We don't have anything. You know, we had. Holes in our carpet, and we had an oven that wouldn't work many times. Our phone would get turned off because the bill wasn't paid. We didn't have a car, and it had to get ride, We had to get rides from other people. I mean, furniture was given to us and donated. I mean, it was it was not pleasant. But because of what was said around that, right? Not only did I fear money because it was bad and it caused pain, caused pain and arguments. What else do you think was happening? I longed for money. I thought money was the answer. If we only had money, if we only had the money to, to, you know, get new carpet and have a a car and all the things that make my mom sad and all the things that make my mom and dad argue, if we had that, then we would be happy. So uh, my entire life, what do you think was going on with me? It's crazy. On one hand, I had such a desire and drive to make money. I mean, I rode my bicycle to my very first job at 14 or 15, I was babysitting at age 10, right, and making money and making flyers and passing them out all over the neighborhood. And then I rode my bicycle pretty far to apply for my very first job. My parents didn't even know it. I was working at a drugstore called Revco Drugs back in the, um, it would have been in the early, early 80s. And so I was always striving for money and wanting money because money was the answer. But at the same time, money causes problems. So what happened as an adult is that I could never hold on to it, right? I had this drive for it so I would make the money. I could make money appear out of nowhere. I could find a job and every interview I went into, I knew I was going to get the job. You know, I always had something cooking. I always had something cooking. I always had money coming in, but I was always broke. One, because I had a broke mindset, right? But I also didn't, never had enough money. I was giving it all away or or, or loaning it, or spending it, or whatever. So that's an example of how you can actually have two things working against you. This lens that forms because of those stories, and again, the stories that we create come from experiences we have to which we add meaning, or words that we actually hear people speak about things or people, or about us, or, exactly, or directly to us. And then we form this, these stories such as Money is bad, men should be feared. You know, I'm not lovable. Uh, one of mine has always been, which is so funny because I have a podcast now, right? People don't want to hear what I have to say. I'm invisible. No one sees me or hears me. I don't matter. I'm invisible. So that lens that forms, we then see everything through I mean, picture that picture, picture a lens in front of you, right that says things like, "Men are dangerous, money is bad." but money is also the only answer to peace and happiness. Whatever those stories are, picture that as a lens. You and I walk around life unconsciously seeing every experience, every relationship, every interaction, every comment, everything, every movie, (laughs) everything, every behavior of others through that lens. So it's a distorted view of life. It's a distorted view of the world, but it's our reality. So guess what? It's true. We then become detectives and we start collecting evidence to prove that those stories are true. Why do we do that? Because that's just the way it works. What you and I do as human beings is we make, make our reality out in the physical form match the reality that is in our mind, right? So picture it almost like a picture, right? You have a picture in your brain and you're searching to make sure that you can create a situation that matches that picture because if it doesn't match nothing makes sense in the world if i'm certain that money is bad if i'm certain that money causes problems right that when i or or that is why then i win the lottery and i end up broke If I am certain in my subconscious, remember, this is unconscious. We don't know we're thinking this. Some of it is obvious, right? You might know that you have those thoughts about money or or something bad happened when you were a child, something traumatic, and you've always known that you feared men, right? But I'm talking about the things that you don't know are happening in your subconscious. You don't know those stories are there. You don't know that this is causing this picture movie in your brain and this lens that you're seeing everything through so what happens is if you're going to make your external reality match your internal reality you and i are going to sabotage relationships sabotage our finances sabotage our own health we're going to create things out in the world we're going to add meaning to situations out in the world such as I see my two friends having lunch, I have a story that I'm invisible and I'm unseen and unheard, and I have a story that I'm unlovable and unwanted, so I see my two friends having lunch and what do I say? I add meaning to that experience to make it match what's in my brain. What meaning do I add? I knew I wasn't worthy. I knew they didn't like me. Of course they're having lunch without me. Why would they invite me? Right, you see how I just added that meaning to it? That's not what's happening. Two people are having lunch and that is it, period, end of story. But I, as an adult, I don't know if you've ever done this, I spent years putting the emphasis on the meaning, not on the actual facts, right? You're, 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 you're worried that your, your partner is going to be unfaithful. So you see something on their phone or you, you hear a whisper of something, I knew it. Today's the day I find out I'm getting cheated on. And they actually, actually were whispering about a surprise party they were planning for you <laughs> That's a little more obvious, but what about some subtle ones? What about you feeling since you were a child that you were not beautiful? No one told you you weren't beautiful, right? You didn't get chosen for something at school, or you went to get your picture taken on the first day of third grade, right? And you brought your picture home and your mom said, oh shoot, why didn't we do your hair? And all she meant was, she felt bad as a mom. She wished she would have curled your hair. She didn't mean you didn't look beautiful. But your meaning the meaning you added was, I'm not pretty enough. I, I'm not pretty enough? I didn't know that. Okay, I'm not pretty enough. And everything you experience and see throughout life is through the lens of what? I'm not pretty. I'm not pretty. I'm not pretty enough. I'm unattractive. So then you're an adult, and you don't get asked on a date by some person, and it means nothing. The universe is actually working in your favor, And you don't get asked on a date because you're not gonna like that person and you're not meant to be together. But the meaning you add is, I knew it's because I wasn't pretty. I knew I should have done my hair. I knew I should have, you see? Now, for some of you, this is old school. This is old, I mean, information. You know this. But my question for you, for those who are hearing this going, yep, got it. Yep, not new to me. Yep. Are you living this way? Are you consciously aware every day of those stories? Are you choosing to rewrite those stories? are you teaching this information to other people? If you're not, that's okay. But if you're not, that means you're still on this journey. So as we're looking out to collect evidence to prove that those stories are true, we will manipulate what's actually happening to match what we see in our brain and what is in the subconscious, because then we will feel calm. Then we will feel like everything is right in the world. Because the two opposites can't be true, right? If I'm certain I'm certain that money is difficult to earn, and I'm certain that money causes problems in my subconscious, not in my conscious brain, in my subconscious, then when I go out to get a promotion and I know that it's going to come with more money, the story I might make up about that is, you know here's the thing, it's going to be so much extra work. And I think Mary actually probably deserves it more. I mean, I can just, I I can pass up this promotion and look into it in a year. And we don't know why we're doing it. But it's almost like we're zombies. You know, I'm picturing, we have my arms in front of me right now. It's like we're walking, you know, like zombies with our arms out in front of us. And, and, you know, scrambled eggs for brains, having no idea why we keep getting these shitty results in our lives. Or maybe you're getting great results, but you're not feeling fulfilled. You achieve and you achieve and you've got all those boxes checked, checked, but you never really feel like it's enough. Well, maybe that's because deep, deep, deep down, you have a limiting belief, a little voice, a story, head trash, that's telling you you're not enough. So no matter how much you achieve, it will never be enough because you don't think you're enough. So every single limiting belief that we have, every story that is planted in our brain that we're using as a lens to look through for every experience, no matter what it is, and there are so many, boil down to one. If you want to whittle it all down, it all comes down to I am not enough. I am afraid I'm not enough. And you might say, no, 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 mine is I'm afraid I'm too much. That's still a fear of not enough, right? If I'm afraid I'm going to be too much, and that was one of my my entire life, you know, I didn't want to be too pretty because someone I don't trust might touch me in a way that I shouldn't be touched, right? I didn't want to be too smart because then some of the boys at school wouldn't like me because if I beat them in ciphering and math, right? They wouldn't like me as much. It's cuter to dumb yourself down. So the fear of being too much, which is, it's a fear commonly held by women. Um, I actually didn't even realize uh, that I had that story until I read a book called The Big Leap, one of my very favorite books. I highly recommend that. We'll put it in the show notes, The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. And although I felt that way my whole life, I didn't Know how to articulate it, as I'm worried that I'm too much. I'll be too, or I'll be too much, and I think then my insecurity and my ego was tripped by saying, "Oh, that's arrogant to say that. It doesn't mean you think you're you're worried that you're better than everybody. You're just worried you're going to be too much, and so you you put a muzzle on yourself. You shrink down, and so many of us do that. I think as women, we assume that most women are afraid that they're not enough, right? But truly, the not enough, the lack, manifests, manifests many times as, I'm worried I'm going to actually be too much. So we don't raise our hand in the meeting. We don't speak up. We, we call every conversation that isn't bubblegum confrontation. Oh, I hate confrontation, right? Well, it's not confrontation. It's just clear communication. And clear communication is actually very healthy and very kind. But all of this that we're talking about starts to show up in our lives not just in ways of us creating and adding meaning, right? To make those stories match what's in our head. It also starts manifesting physically. So I'll show you what that, what that looks like. When you look at your inner circle, you know, the, the five or so people you spend the most time with outside of your spouse and your immediate family, by the way, the, the friends, the social relationships that you have, those people are probably making the same amount of money as you. They probably have about the same amount of debt. They probably have the same philosophy on life in general. They probably think the same way when it comes to whether or not they have a growth mindset or a, an, a, a fixed mindset. Growth mindset comes from abundance. Fixed mindset comes from lack, right? They're very similar to you, even if they don't look like you. They have different jobs. And you say, oh, no, they're nothing like me. But when you really boil it down, here's what matches their head trash. Their head trash and your head trash are twinsies. The level of mastery around the head trash, twinsies. They may have different head trash, but you're probably at the same level, the same place in life as uh, with regard to your identification of the head trash and what you've done or, or been willing to do about it and your awareness around it. It also manifests, these limiting beliefs manifest um, well, many ways, physically, but also, I mean, as far as your physical body, but also financially. You don't just probably make about the same money as your your friends. who cares? Like you know if i'm I'm making thirty thousand dollars, forty thousand dollars a year, and my girlfriends are all in the same occupation with me and they make the same amount, who cares, right? Why does that matter? Well, here's what's interesting. You are friends with them because of association, because of convenience, and you like them, right? But you attracted those specific people because of those inner stories that are the same, the head trash that's the same, the commitment or lack of commitment, awareness or lack of awareness about the head trash and what you're willing to do about it. So when, it, when you look at money, your limiting beliefs manifest in your bank account, and I know that rubs people the wrong way. It used to rub me the wrong way, because it, it's not true that people who are not, quote, "rich." are unhappy. That's not true. I mean, look at Mother Teresa, right? People who don't have a lot of money can have such a sense of peace, happiness, abundance in their mind and love and prosperity without having stuff in things. However, an abundant mindset always manifests as abundance in all areas of your life because your vibration is higher. And we'll talk about that Um, in detail in another episode, but your vibration is higher. So you're attracting um, people with that higher vibration, opportunities, relationships, experiences, jobs, etc. So am I saying that if you have a lot of money, you absolutely have an abundant mindset? No. I mean, there are people who fall into it. There are people who get it um, just through grit, hard work, hustle, and dishonesty. But for the most part, the lens that we're seeing the world through, those limiting beliefs we're talking about in the subconscious brain will show up in three ways. There are our inner circle, our finances, and our closest, most personal relationships, our spouse, our partner, the way we interact with our own children, the way we interact with our own parents. So I'll give a few examples. When it comes to relationships, well, if I feel unlovable and I feel unwanted and I always have a fear that someone's going to leave me because my, this is a true story for me. My, my parents got a divorce and my dad moved out when I was in sixth grade and I was so close to my brother, my older brothers. One had already gone to college at that point because he was 10 years older than me. Um, but my brother that was closer to me in age, um, moved out of our house, uh, when we were in high school and lived with another family and he quote left me. And then my oldest brother that I was so close to, even though he was off in college and medical school, he got married when I was, I think, 14 or 15, and he, quote, left me. And my dad found someone else to live with and didn't make us a priority, and he, quote, left me. So I didn't realize until, I think, 47 years old that I had a fear that men would leave me. I didn't even know that I felt that way. So what do you think happened? When I was having an argument a couple of years ago with my husband, and he's like, you know what? I'm just going to go. I, you know, He was getting upset. He needed to just cool off, which is very healthy. It's a healthy boundary. But when he left and stormed off and drove out, I had what I think is a panic attack. Where in the world did that come from? I'll tell you where it came from. It came from that story that I'm going to be left by a man. Men leave. And so that triggered that experience. So triggers are another thing we're going to dig into, but, but we experience things in our life today that will trigger these wounds and these old stories that were planted in our brains when we were tiny and we were little and we don't even know it. So when you're looking at your circle, your inner circle, how do those people behave? Do they gossip a lot? Are they ambitious? Do they make fun of people who are rich and wealthy? Do they say things like, Oh, finally Friday, or can't wait till Friday, or of course it's Monday. Are they high energy achievers? Do they give and serve? Do they, you know, have to drink their sorrows away? Like, like how do they show up? And then I want you to look at yourself and say, why did I attract them? You can like them and you can love them, but why are you spending time with them? Do they fill you up? They are a mirror to you. Your inner circle, those, those, the five people you spend the most time with, and I'm talking about by choice, not I'm stuck next to negative Nancy in my cubicle. No, the people you're going to meet for a drink after work, the ones you're going to invite to your barbecue on Saturday. Those five people that you personally spend the most time with, they are a mirror to you and they are you. No, they're not. Yes, they are. And then you might say, well, gosh, Jill, that's rude. Are you telling me to like break up with my friends? Maybe. It depends. What if you decided to have a healthy boundary and love them from a distance? What if you decided instead of meeting them at the same restaurant on the same day or talking about the same stuff over and over again, what if you said, you know what, guys, I'm actually going to see you once a month now, and you spent that time maybe going to a Pilates class or listening to a podcast while you go on a run, you will start bringing in new people to fill those spots in that inner circle as you grow yourself. So you will attract what you are. And those stories from your childhood are a huge factor. You might say, well, what am I gonna do, get rid of them? I mean, they're there. You can't get rid of them, but you can rewrite the narrative. And that's part of the journey we're gonna go on on this podcast and we're gonna walk through this stuff. You're not, you know, people can say, oh, just do affirmations. You can't just do affirmations. That's like putting whipped cream on shit. You can't just say affirmations in the morning and have your kale smoothie and put something on Instagram and somehow get over the story that you're not enough and you're unlovable and people are going to leave you. It doesn't work that way. Okay. So again, these stories will manifest in the in, in many ways, but the three we're talking about today are your inner circle. Check that inner circle. Maybe you need to break up with some people. Maybe you need to make some edits. Maybe you need to look around and go, I have an amazing inner circle. That inner circle, the reaction of those people is going to tell you whether or not they're for you. Because if they don't grow along with you and they're not cheering you on, they're not your circle. They're not the circle you should be with. And as you level up, again, it's not about better than. It's about raising your vibration and and raising the way you are showing up in this world. As you spread those wings and identify those wings and start flying, how they respond says a lot, but also how you respond. Do you feel guilty? Do you feel like you need to take them with you? Picture yourself. You're a butterfly. You all of a sudden, you know, you're eight episodes in and you found your wings and you're 20 episodes in and you've got your wings and they're strong enough to fly and you're ready to go. And then you're like, ah, but I have to take Mary and Jenny with me. I have to. I have to rescue them. What's going to happen? You're going to, you know, be dragged down with them. But what if you said, I love that circle. I don't have to get rid of them. They're doing the best they can. I'm doing the best they can. I love them for who they are. They're on their own journey. But I don't need to give up my growth to make them more comfortable. I'm just going to see them once a month instead of every single Wednesday. And then all of a sudden, new people will show up in your life. You'll find yourself feeling more attracted to new people. And you'll feel, find yourself feeling less attracted to some of the people who you used to spend so much time with. Oh my gosh, I could talk about this for days. But let's move on now to the three takeaways from this episode. First, I want you to identify your head trash exactly in words. I am what, what is some of your head trash? I'm fat, I'm lazy, Um, I'm unlovable. Men are what, money is what? Friends are what, people are what? What are your stories, your head trash? Number two, I want you to now write out the opposite. Like literally on a piece of paper, I hope you have a journal. I've been guilty of not journaling ever. Like I, I do all this work and I'm, 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 I'm doing so much to improve my life and who I am, but I've avoided some pretty interesting things. And one was looking in the mirror and telling myself that I like and love myself. And number two was journaling. And they're probably the most two impec- impactful things we could do. Um, so in your journal, or if you're like me and you haven't started a journal, just on a piece of paper or on the note section of your phone, that'd be a good one. In the note section of your phone, I want you to restate those limiting beliefs in the positive. I am loved. I am wanted. I am safe. I am seen. I am heard. Those are mine. I am beautiful. I'm gorgeous. I am more than enough. I'm intelligent. I'm lovable. And number three, now is where you get to play detective in the reverse. You're already playing detective, even if you don't realize it. Remember, you're walking around collecting evidence to prove that that story in your head is true. Now you're going to do the opposite you're going to become a detective. And all throughout the day, you're going to start collecting evidence to prove the newly stated belief. So as, first of all, just by looking for it, it will show up. Just like, you know, someone all of a sudden tells you about a, my my sister-in-law is getting a new car. I can't think of what it's called right now. Roadster, maybe. I don't remember what it's called. She told me about it the other day. And I was like, oh, I've heard of that car before. Right? And then I started seeing those cars right? Because that was then in my awareness. So just because you're going to choose to look for this evidence, it's going to be there. But the coolest thing, you guys, is that you're going to look at a conversation with your partner. And the old story was going to prove that you're not enough, that men are unreliable, that you're unseen, you're unheard, whatever. But suddenly you're now going to look for evidence to prove the new story. And you'll say, hot damn, it's there. Oh my gosh, I had no idea that it's been there the whole freaking time. I didn't even know it was there, right? Just like you didn't even know that that, you know, whatever, that, that yellow convertible car that your friend is getting, they've been in your city the whole time. You didn't even know it because you didn't know it. It wasn't in your awareness and you weren't looking for them. But now you're looking. So collect evidence throughout the day, but I want you to write it down. Don't just make a mental note in the notes section of your phone because all of us have our phones glued to us, don't we? I want you to write down those positive statements, the reverse of the limiting beliefs, and then collect evidence throughout the day. For example, you're at work. If you're physically going to work now, many people are working from home. But let's say you get on Zoom and you're there a minute early. And you always feel like you're not the one liked at the office. You get on there and someone says, hey, Mary, how are you doing today? And instead of clamming up like normal, you say, I'm actually doing really well. How are you doing? And then you start chatting. Right there can be, oh my gosh, people do want to talk to me. She's one of the more popular people at the office and she asked me how I was. I had this whole story that she was better than me, right? So collect evidence throughout the entire day. And then before you go to sleep, I want you to write about it. How did it feel to create a new story? How did it feel to collect evidence? And are you willing to keep doing it? Because this is going to be lifelong work. You can't just do it one time. And they say, all right, I checked that box. I'm ready for the next lesson. You have to keep doing it. Your brain is already going it's, to, it's, it's, it's going to pull you back to the negative. I told you it's always searching for what's wrong. What's wrong? What's wrong? How am I going to get hurt? So that's, this isn't going to be natural. This is like, you know, we're going to identify a muscle that you didn't even know you had. And then once you identify it, that's not enough. It's going to be flaccid. <laughs> it's going to be so, so, so not ready. And you're going to work that muscle. What's going to happen? You're going to get sore. It's not going to feel good. It's going to feel awkward and weird. You know, if you started working out and you're seeing no results, no results, no results. Why am I doing this? I forgot. I'm trying to get healthy. And then you look in the mirror and you're like, oh my gosh, my butt's like an inch higher. (laughs) How did that happen? Well, it was happening incrementally, you know, over the course of 12 weeks. That's what's going to happen with this. You won't feel like it's doing anything and it will feel awkward and weird. It's going to be like eating with your non-dominant hand, you know, driving the opposite way to work, which by the way, you should do those things. But then there's going to come a point in time, very soon, where you're going to say, oh my gosh, I'm naturally starting to look for evidence to prove that I am lovable, I'm worthy, I'm this, I'm that. And it feels really good, and I'm actually seeing that now everywhere. Okay, so I hope this was interesting, stimulating, inspiring. I hope you enjoyed it. Please, please, please consider doing these three exercises at the end. I can't wait to hear what results you get. I'd love to hear from you. And I mean that. If you don't feel ready to really dig in and do the work, that's okay too. It's okay to just be learning right now. If you're one of our listeners who is super inspired by this and does want to dig in, this is just the very beginning for you. This is going to be life changing. And many in our BU collective, including myself, will be right here every step of the way with you. Thank you so much for joining me on BU. I know there was something in this episode you were meant to hear. So let me know in a DM on Instagram at jillhermanbu. Be sure to subscribe to the BU podcast. And if you have iTunes, I would so appreciate you rating the podcast and leaving a comment with your biggest aha or takeaway. Sharing a screenshot of this episode on your story is the best way for us to reach women just like you. And if you send a link to a friend, let her know what unique quality she has that the world needs more of. If this is your first visit, welcome to our BU collective, where we get honest about what it takes to find our true self so we can set her free and start living.